Hey, good evening, guys. Um, great to be with you guys. I, um, as Rob already mentioned, I'm, I'm Jamie Urbina, and I have the privilege here at our church uh, shepherding and overseeing uh, our young adults ministry here, which I love, love, love so much. And um, yeah, every once in a while I get to hang out with you. I personally wanted to uh, you know, thank all of uh, you veterans as well as we celebrate this amazing day today. And uh, if you guys want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we will uh, get started. You have uh, been with us through these uh, weeks coming uh, to kind of the end of the book. We, we come now to uh, one of the final chapters here as Paul is kind of closing out his letter. And we've seen that this letter was largely written as a, a corrective letter, right? On these behavioral issues as we've seen where Paul touches on subjects, outward subjects like unity in the church and immorality that was going on. He talks about liberty and spiritual giftings. And now Paul switches here in chapter 15 to doctrine as he comes now to his last subject that we're going to start to look at tonight's the theme of the resurrection the resurrection of Jesus and the future resurrection of those who believe in Jesus of the church and so we're going to be spending three weeks here on this chapter because it's such a a beautiful topic and and Paul does such a great job on this topic alone and and uh and so tonight we kind of the first week we get in there and and I wanted to start by kind of noting something that Rob had said uh just uh, last week. Rob mentioned relevance. You know, posing the question last week in light of everything that was going on in our country today, you know, was the topic that he was talking about, it was spiritual gifts, was it relevant to talk about? And, and you know, I, I loved his answer because he said more than ever before, we as the church, we need to be versed and active in walking in the Spirit. And I, I, you know, looking at tonight's passage here in chapter 15, I could think of no greater relevance than bringing to remembrance the hope that we have as Christians by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think the, the, even the position that we find, you know, this section here in Paul's letter is nothing short of the divine because of how much sense it really makes that Paul would go through all these things to kind of finish out and close out with giving us this beautiful picture of the gospel and our own resurrection from the dead. It's about this that pastor and author John MacArthur wrote, just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, So the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. And my prayer is that that over these next few weeks as we we as a church consider this topic here, the resurrection, that that we would have that sense of of God encouraging and, and God exercising, maybe even like reviving us as a church in this heart of faith that we have and that, uh, that he desires to, to exercise and to grow. And so with that, we're going to take a look. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at a little a bit of the backdrop again of this section of Paul's letter. And then we're going to go ahead and read through those verses and then uh, go over our outline for tonight. And then we'll go ahead and, and we'll get into it. So, so again, just a little bit about whom Paul is writing to. Well, the church there in Corinth is located there in the, the southern region of Greece. 
And as anybody would imagine, this church really kind of struggled to break free from the culture that they were in, that they were living in, this Greek culture with its myriad of of ideologies and and ideas and philosophies about spiritual matters. And and this is the, the culture that they existed in. This is the culture that they were surrounded by, and, and this led to many of the challenges, and, and we see that as Paul addresses all these, these things in his letter, uh, you know, when these uh, Gentiles were converting to Christianity and were called now to adopt these biblical ideas, especially the one we're talking about tonight, the resurrection of the dead. You see, a major belief in that culture really surrounded the, the uh, immortality of the soul. The Greeks believed that the soul of a person, it did live on, but not the body. They believed, to them, the body was actually the source of man's weakness and sin. And so, so death in this culture, much of their belief, was, was this welcome means by which the soul was freed. You see, and liberated from the physical corrupt body as they they viewed it. So this idea of the resurrection in their thinking was really only to enslave them back in that, that physical corrupt body. And so it was so foreign to them. So much so, they didn't even have, have language in their vocabulary to describe it. That's why Paul, when he was there preaching and sharing with those philosophers there on Mars Hill in Acts 17, this is why when he was talking with them, they called him a babbler, right? Because Paul was, was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. They called him a proclaimer of strange deities, and they, they mocked him for it. And Paul... Well, Paul is somebody who cared for these Christians there in this church in Corinth. He was deeply concerned that for many of the believers there, at the heart of their belief in Christ Jesus, they had this vital issue. This vital issue. And the problem that Paul was addressing here, we have to understand, it wasn't that the Corinthians doubted Christ's own resurrection, but they were confused about their own. So Paul wasn't trying to convince them that Jesus had risen from the dead, but that one day they would too. They would be raised with him to eternal life. And so Paul, like any good teacher would, Paul leads them back to the absolute fundamentals of their faith in order to build this case for the resurrection and what it meant for them as partakers of this glorious promise that we all share. And so so let's get into these verses here. Tonight we'll be focusing on the the first 11 of Paul's description of the gospel. Paul writes there in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also, 
as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Let's pray. Lord, upon hearing this, it fills my heart with joy. The truth, Lord, the gospel for which we believe in, not that gives us life today, but Lord, the life that will come when we too are raised with you. Lord, and I pray that tonight, Lord, as we go over kind of and talk and discuss about this topic, Lord, that we would, uh, our hearts tonight would be filled with hope and with joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, another translation for this chapter begins this way with Paul writing, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, And I believe that this section of this letter, it serves as a good reminder for us as well. So I entitled tonight's message, A Relevant Reminder. And in looking at this relevant reminder here in chapter 15, we're going to look at three things in Paul's description of the gospel. First, we're going to look at the power of the gospel. Secondly, the validation of the gospel. And then thirdly, the grace of the gospel. So let's talk about, discuss the power of the gospel. And, and I'm going to go back. I know we just read through it, but I want us to go back and read through those, those first four verses again. Maybe a little bit slower because there's something I want you to see in there. Paul says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Stop right there for a second. Here, here's what Paul is teaching us. He says, hey, remember this great news? Catch this. He writes there, which you received, that's past tense, in which you stand, That's present tense, and by which you are being saved. That is future tense. And what this means is that the gospel isn't something as Christians that that we like walk through, you know, like a door. We walk through in order to get to better, to deeper, you know, more spiritual things. But instead, the gospel is the thing that we never move away from, right? It's It's the thing that we never move off of, but only go deeper into, we don't simply get saved by way of the gospel and then move on to you know, more, much more challenging, much more spiritual issues, right? You know, like those issues of, of purity and, and morality and, and spiritual giftings. No, all of who we are, listen, and all we will continue to be as the bride of Christ will be about this truth. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried and on the third day rose again from the grave. Can I get an amen? Amen. And listen, church, if our attention and focus ever moves away from that finished work of Christ for sinners like me and like you, 
And, and we think that now it's time that we move on to bigger and better things. Listen, we've wandered hard, far from the heart of God, if that is us. Far from the heart of God. And this powerful doctrine of the gospel that we just now seen. Listen, unfortunately today, in our day and age, it, it so easily gets peddled as a buzzword. Characterizing some certain facet of life or behavior as, as a part of the gospel. And listen, there is, there is a response. There is a responsibility that comes with the gospel. But to tie any behavior or expectation to it, listen, it really taints this beautiful truth that we just looked at. We have to be careful about this. And as Christians, especially today, we have to get this right. Consider this. When the gospel is, is preached in the Bible, when it's proclaimed in the Bible, whether it's taught by Jesus or, or preached by you know, Peter at Pentecost or even written in the New Testament, just like we read by Paul, it doesn't read, here is the gospel. Tell the truth. Does it? It doesn't read, here is the gospel. Be a faithful spouse, right? It doesn't say, here's the gospel. The gospel is to honor God or to not lie or cheat or steal. It doesn't even say, this is the gospel, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, those things are all attributes, right? They are essential to our Christian worldview, our response to this beautiful news, the gospel. And we understand that, that we are commanded, you know, throughout the Bible, that this is our behavior, right? We understand it's crystal clear what is required of us to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. But when it comes to the gospel, well, the gospel is not any of those things. Instead, the gospel is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And that, my friends, is the gospel. Author Thaddeus Williams puts it this way. He said, The gospel is an indicative, whereas the essentials to biblical worldview, meaning how we behave as, as Christians, comes in terms of an imperative. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's just say uh, at dinner last night, okay, we all sat down for dinner and, and we served my son, Shepherd, broccoli and Brussels sprouts, all right? He's not a vegetable eater. And so, so I gave Shepherd an imperative. I said, son, hey, eat your vegetables, right? Now, that is not good news, okay? Especially for Shep. That's not good news. Eat your vegetables. But you see, Anytime there is a command, it's an imperative. It's not an indicative. Instead, the gospel is this beautiful announcement of what Jesus has accomplished for you and me through his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. The gospel is like me announcing to my kids, kids, your vegetables have been eaten. That is an imperative, right? That is good news for them. Just like the gospel is good news for us because the power in the gospel will never be indicative to our, beha our behavior, but will always be the greatest news of all, that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. That's amazing news. Who else makes the offer to come as you are, broken and battered and into my love? Who else gives that invitation? Every other area of our lives, it's earn, achieve, accomplish, go and do, 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 but 
Listen, only Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus extends that invitation. And this, my friends, is the foundation of our Christianity. This is where all of our behavior as believers, this is where our attitude that we desire to have, and even the giftings that God desires that we would use are meant to flow from. And this is a powerful truth that our adversary, the devil, he wants to silence. He wants to silence because he knows that this truth brings freedom. You know, salvation is not do, 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 but it's done in the finished work of Jesus. He understands that this truth is not only, you know, one that brings freedom, but it brings strength. As Paul would write to us that the the finished work of Jesus did not end at the cross. But even after being buried, Jesus rose again from the grave, defeating death. And now Paul writes to us that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in you. It lives in me. And just as he raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to our mortal bodies. The same Spirit that lives in us. This is a, a powerful truth. This is a demonstration of God's power over death, and it's the same demonstration that he desires to work inside of you and inside of me. Not moving beyond it, not moving past it, but living in it, resting in it, present, presently, or from our past, our present, and our future. You received it, you stand in it, you'll hold fast in it, yeah? It's not moral betterment that we can judge our own salvation, but instead, it's resting in the finished work of Jesus. As Paul would write, that he who began this good work in us, that he will complete it the day that he appears. You know, it has been said that the gospel is good news for those who have done their best and failed. And I love that. Anybody a member of that group? Yeah, me too. Power of the gospel. Next, uh, we're going to look at the validity of the gospel. Paul continues there in verse 5. It reads that he, speaking of Jesus, was seen by Cephas, or Peter as he is better known. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep, meaning that they have passed away. And after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. Stop right there. So, so Paul now is, is pointing now to these eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, these people that actually saw him with their own two eyes, you know, and, and I know this might sound weird, but man, I'm a total people watcher. You know, I just love to watch people and I have to be, you know, careful because I don't want to creep anybody out. But, but like in busy places like the Del Mar Fair or Disneyland, I mean, literally I could just sit there with my coffee and just observe, right? Is there anybody else? I mean, I just love kind of how we are all so different and unique, you know, all of our shapes and sizes, the way that, that God made us. And, you know, it's some people just intrigue me. And I know it's not courteous to stare, but, you know, that's why I get really dark sunglasses. Anyway, you know, I can't imagine, 
you know, after Jesus had risen from the dead, you know, and there he is sitting at the table with his disciples, you know, courtesy was probably out the window. They probably just stared, right? They were probably like, what the heck? I just watched this man die on a cross. I I saw the stone roll over that hole and here he is. And they probably just stared, you know, as Jesus kind of, you know, grabbed a chip and and dipped it into the salsa. And, And now Paul is like saying, hey, this case for the resurrection it points to these men and women who encountered the resurrected Lord. And, you know, there have been many objections to the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. There are people that say that, you know, some say that he didn't die at all, but instead he, he passed out on, on the cross there, the, the swoon theory as it's known, that, that he passed out, you know, from the extreme trauma that he endured and then later was, was revived in the tomb. Yeah, and some others say that he did die. He actually did die, but you know his body was stolen in the night by his followers. Others say that you know yes, he really did die, but so desperate were his followers and overwhelmed with emotion that they were hallucinating. You know when they thought that they saw him alive, claiming that he had risen, and they took his ballot and filled it out and voted for him anyway. But really. Apart from all of those objections, really a plain and simple understanding of the evidence, it destroys all those theories. It shows that it takes far more faith than to believe in those objections than it does in these actual biblical accounts. And you know, many of these sightings and meetings, they are recorded in the Gospels. We see them in the Bible. Some are not, but, but even others that are, aren't even included here. Like when Jesus meets the two women that, that come to him at the tomb. All of these testimonies add up to an overwhelming witness. And Paul lists them as if to say, hey, dude, go ask them yourself, all right? They're still alive. Go talk to them yourself, and they will tell you too, right? It wasn't just a sketchy few, but literally hundreds who saw the resurrected Jesus with their own two eyes. They saw him. They ate with him. They touched him. They, they felt his wounds. It's amazing. And think about this. There were more witness to, the, to the, the resurrection of Jesus than to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Yet no one doubts that that document was signed Again, seems like it takes more faith to believe in those objections or even to deny it, but yet still some doubts. And Paul's examples here, he lists Peter and, and the rest of the disciples, the 500 others, some who believed, some who did not. He mentions James there, believed to be the brother of Jesus and all the other apostles. And then Paul says, hey, I saw him myself. And we see that in the book of Acts. All these men and women not only saw Jesus after his death, but, but this is another facet of the gospel's validation. It's that not only did they see him, but we see that they saw him in a way that changed their lives. They, they saw him in a way that changed their lives and it revolutionized their faith and it solidified their trust that changed their lives forever even to the point of death. And the disciples were almost immediately transformed from men who were, who were hopeless and, and were full of fear. You know, they were hiding behind locked doors to men who were confident and bold 
in their witness. They were confident in, in what they saw and who they knew Jesus to be. Everything he said he was. And friends, that's hope for us here tonight. In light of what's been done on the cross of Calvary, you know that we too would encounter Jesus. That we too would see Jesus. Whether it was you know, at a Bible study or at a retreat, whether if it was just in the car when we're all by ourselves listening to a study or a worship CD. Do CDs, do they still have CDs anymore? Anyway. Whether if it's coming to the table of communion and remembering Jesus, his broken body given for you and me. We see his wounds and how they paid our ransom or, or we just meditate on, on the blood of Christ, that ever-flowing blood that would just cleanse us of all of our faults and wash us clean. And you know, just like those who encountered Jesus back then were transformed to even turn their world upside down. Listen, our Father's hope is the same for us here tonight. That we would be changed and that as new creations in Christ Jesus, we would continue to validate the truth of this beautiful gospel. As our resurrected King resurrects you and me daily. And I believe that there are some in this room here tonight who can attest to this truth already. Transforming, the transforming power of the gospel has transformed them and their life. Every story is unique, right? Every story is different, but they all display something. The same things that these witnesses displayed by their transformed life. Just as Paul would write in his second letter to the same church that we all have this treasure, We all share this treasure in jars of clay that shows this power is from God and not of us. That's what our transformed lives display. No matter where we've come from, what we've done, because of that finished work of Jesus, we share this beautiful truth. God is this master potter shaping us into perfectly imperfect containers to hold the treasure of his spirit and reflect this beautiful gospel truth. So lastly, Paul points to his own life to highlight this gospel of grace. Now, Paul's ministry, it it was a bit different than the other apostles. His conversion and all, which which is why there in verse 8, Paul says, he notes that his encounter with uh, Christ is one that, that was as born out of due time. Because he encountered Christ after his death and resurrection, where the other disciples were called before that. And so Paul goes on there in verse 9. Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me, Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. You know, Paul had no need or reason to defend himself as an apostle. In fact, because 
Paul had an idea of what justice looked like from man's perspective. Whereas as a Pharisee in his youth, right, Paul was, was passionate about justice. As he chased down those Christians, believed that they were blasphemers and, and traitors to their, their law and tradition as Jews. But having that perspective of, of man's justice, look, this only highlighted the mercy of God in Paul's own life. He knew what he, he truly deserved. And in light of that, Paul says, man, I, mean, I don't even feel you know, like I'm worthy to be called an apostle, little, you know, not even the least of the apostles. And this attitude of humility that Paul shares here, it would continue throughout his life. You know, it's not like Paul, you know, graduated from the least of the apostles to like second, you know, right under Peter or, or maybe third behind John. No, Paul went the opposite direction. We, we see this in his latter letters that he would write to the various churches. The church in Ephesus received a letter where Paul notes that he was least of all the saints. And even the letter that Paul would write to Timothy he would say this, that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul goes from the least of the apostles to the least of the saints to chief of all sinners. And you know what? We need to take note of this example of humility. Because it's, it's here in Paul's example where we learn that humility is the prerequisite to experiencing the fullness of God's grace. Again, humility is the, the prerequisite to experience the full grace of God. You cannot have, you know, grace, the fullness of grace without humility. It simply cannot be done. And here's why. Because to give others grace, or even to give ourselves the grace that we need, we must have the right estimation of ourselves. We must be humble. Doesn't mean that we should be undervaluing ourselves, right? Or even like giving in to those belittling thoughts that I know the enemy loves to feed us. No, instead... It means to humble ourselves. It means to demote ourselves or to, to lower ourselves in our own estimation. C.S. Lewis famously said that humility is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. And I love how Paul sums this up there in verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. You know, Paul's life didn't exactly turn out the way that he expected. Nor do I believe that, that he was everything that he really hoped to be as a follower of Christ. And I think, I think that many of us can relate to that. You know, things not turning out the way that, that we had planned or hoped. Or even now, kind of these feelings that, that we just aren't enough when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, personally, I know I can look back on my own life and I see many moments of regret. 
many uh, moments of, of mistakes that were made and, and people that I have hurt. But listen, to Paul's point, I am what I am. A sinner, saved by grace, no longer a slave of my past or of my sin, but now rescued by the cross of Christ and a child of God. This, my friends, is what defines me. This is what I am. This is what Paul's example shows us. Pastor Andy Stanley said this about grace. He said, just as sin sometimes results in bad things happening to good people, so grace creates the possibility of good things happening to undeserving people. You see, grace is this vehicle that God uses on occasion to make sure that you and I, listen, we get, it, we get precisely what we don't deserve. And just like that quote there says, grace is not reserved for good people. It's not reserved for good kids, perfect people. Grace, again, is for those who have tried and have failed and failed again and failed again and failed again. And Paul writes, God's grace towards us is never in vain. I love that. God's grace is never wasted. Although sometimes it doesn't make sense. Although sometimes it, it, it seems to kind of, you know, take our agendas and, and our pursuits of self, self-glory and kind of throw them out the window. And, you know, I know for me so many times, sometimes the grace of God just has to wrestle my agenda out of my wayward hands. Sometimes it's messy, sometimes unpredictable. And sometimes in moments, it's even scary. But listen, its purpose, always its purpose, is to lead you and me to the, gr- the goodness of God. And this, my friends, is where we can rest, recognizing that it is God who is in control. It's not up to us. It's not up to us to, to you know, force these results that we want out of life. But instead, by faith, we can trust that that Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He is writing a story far better than we could ever write. He's writing a story far better than we can even ever imagine. And that's crazy to think that. You know, as I mentioned before, I have the privilege of hanging out with our young adult ministry here and I and I love hanging out with them. Um, they inspire me so much, right? Their excitement and their zeal for Jesus, man, it affects me. All right, it rubs off on me. I need it at my age. I love it, and and I've been hanging out with a few that have have kind of expressed to me in this last you know season that you know they really feel that God's put this calling on their life to serve him, to, to, to really answer this calling to lead and to teach and to, to minister to people. And so, you know, this past year, I, I've kind of asked them individually, you know, had them alone, and I, I've asked these, these guys like, hey, what can I do to help you answer this calling, right? Like what practical things and opportunities can, can we give you as the church to help you grow and be what God is calling you to be? And it's so amazing because some of them, you know, they get it. And I'm not sure if they knew this was a trick question or not, but, but some quickly answered like, hey, I want to serve. And I'm like, yes, 
You know, they're like, hey, show me the need, and, and that's what I'll do. I just want to serve. Because, you see, they understand that God is in control. It's not to them to pull any levers or manipulate situations or slide, you know, into openings. But instead, God is in control. I am what I am because of him. And above all, he is calling me to be like him. Above all, he's calling me to be a servant, a humble servant, and lead me where and how he wants to lead me. And I love it so much. Man, I'm telling you, they inspire me. Watching them just run around and serve, man, it rubs off. So if you ever see one of them running around, just kind of hang out with them. Trust me, you'll see what I mean. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful not only to have their example. I'm so grateful that not only do I have your example, but we also, we have the perfect example in Jesus of humility and grace. Because always, he will always be, be that focal point, right, of this gracious gospel that Paul describes here in this chapter. He was brought low so that he could be lifted up. He didn't try to grasp the throne and take it for himself like people thought he would or expected him to. But instead, he wrongfully suffered a criminal's death so that you and I, we could be reconciled to him that we could be close to him again. And again, that's why it's so beautiful to see God use ordinary people like you and me to announce this extraordinary story, this amazing news, not because he's egotistical at all, but no, listen, it's because he's a loving father and he has perfect plans for our lives and knows the best way. Listen, he knows the best way to care for our souls is to point us towards himself and this beautiful truth because that's when we are changed. That's when we are made like him. That's when we find freedom and strength and power to endure even through the hardest of trials and times. It's this good news, the gospel, the simple gospel holding the power to change us, to humble us, to inspire us. And listen, the gospel really is the antidote to even this weary world that we live in today. It really is. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to ask the band to come out. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And, and while I'm praying, I'm going to give this invitation that the gospel presents that we talked about already. And if you are here right now and you have never responded to this good news, you've never asked Jesus to be a part of your life and do the work that he desires to do, I want to give you that opportunity tonight. I'm not going to have you stand up and, and, and come forward as sometimes we do, but I'm just going to pray. And in this prayer, if that is you, I want you to join me because I believe tonight that if you're in this place and you've never made that decision to fully allow this good news to really define who you are, no longer you're not defined by, you know, how you dress or how you behave or, or what was, you know, your, your family life or your past life. No, from this point on, this good news is what defines you. And the grace and blessings of God only remind you 
that he has a better plan and destiny for your life than this world. But instead, you, just like the rest of us here, you can be partakers of this promise of life here and in eternity and experience the love of God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I do just thank you for this gospel, this beautiful announcement that the work is finished and done. And Lord, all we need to do is accept it. All we need to do, Lord, is, is to turn and find you there in your warm embrace. And Father, I do pray for those that are here tonight, that if that is them, Lord, that you would, if you haven't already, Lord, stir their heart to the point to where they they know they were brought here tonight for that very purpose. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would do that special work in their heart that only you can do. And if that is you here tonight, I want you to pray with us. Father, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness, Lord, and come and abide in my heart. And Lord, help me to turn, Lord, from living for myself to now living with a whole new agenda, Lord, living for you and following your word. And Lord, giving me, Lord, your Holy Spirit to be now my conscience and my guide. And through your spirit, give me the strength not only to live for you, Lord, but give me the ability to live in this whole new life that you have for me as a child of God. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. And I thank you that you were risen from the dead, defeating death, so now that I could be a partaker of this promise, but you are also now ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God, preparing a place for everyone who calls you by your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, and if you prayed that prayer with me here tonight, You know, you don't have to, but man, I so want to encourage you that you would come and talk to me because we want to celebrate with you. This was a life-changing decision that you made. And if you were at home and you were watching this from home or even on a later date, man, pick up the phone, call the church or call a friend that you know is a Christian and say, I prayed that prayer because we want to rejoice with you. We want to celebrate with you and we want to now come around you and help you now in your relationship with Jesus and your walk as a Christian. And so we have men and, and, and some guys and gals on either side of the stage. They are here for you to come and talk to, or if you are here tonight and you have any other need, come and receive prayer. But because we have time to do so, we're just going to worship the Lord for the rest of the evening. Yeah? How about the rest of us? Let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to finish our evening off responding to this beautiful news that we just read about, that we just talked about. Responding to this news that This work is finished and we can sing out and rejoice knowing 
Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's do that.